0: Welcome to the Vibrant MD Podcast, where we discuss weight loss, women's health, and food. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Awad, a family doctor and certified weight loss coach. This podcast is informational, but is not meant as medical advice. Anything you want to change after listening should be discussed with your own doctor and personal medical team. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hello, my vibrant friend, and welcome to the podcast today. I'm thrilled to have a friend with me today, an OPGYN doctor and intimacy coach, Dr. Sada Lodi, and we're going to talk about intimacy today. We'll let her introduce herself a little bit and just let you know that all her information also will be in the show notes if you want to find those later. Thank you for being here, Dr. Lodi. I appreciate your coming today and
1: and. Please introduce yourself to my audience. Hi, thank you, Dr. Awad, and I am so excited to be here on your podcast. My name is Dr. Salaflodi, and I'm a board-certified OBGYN, gyn currently practicing in New York, and I am also an intimacy coach for women. I focus on helping women remove barriers so they can experience pleasure in their relationship and whether those barriers are physical or mental. So Great. I- Thanks.
0: Well, why don't we just start off a little bit, you know, a lot of times when we say intimacy, people, people's minds go to a sexual relationship, but there's, there are lots of different kinds of intimacy. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that most people initially, when you say intimacy, will think about a physical intimacy and that's normal, but As you stated earlier, there are lots of forms of intimacy, and some of the ones that come to mind are experiential, intellectual, emotional, and, of course, sexual. So when we talk about intellectual intimacy, it's where you're able to communicate your likes, your wants, your desires, your dislikes, and connect through the exchange of ideas or discussion. And it's an emotional type of intimacy is where you're able to establish trust in your relationship through honesty and you allow yourself to be vulnerable with your partner and share really your most deep innermost feelings. And also your. a lot of times people have like a spiritual connection. And so that is really what I find that as women get older, they really want in their relationship and with their partner. And oftentimes when you have that emotional intimacy, it does lead to physical intimacy, but oftentimes women will prioritize that emotional intimacy over the physical intimacy so that they can be vulnerable with their partners. And of course, you know, experiential intimacy is just sharing events, doing things together. You know, like if you Take a cooking class together. If you go on a hike together, if you're doing just doing things together, builds a special bond as well in your relationship. And so that's another form of intimacy. And of course, you know, like we discussed earlier, physical intimacy is more what people think of. It's the sexual intimacy. It's that physical touch that we normally think about when we hear the word intimacy. Nice. Thank you.
0: I've heard you say before that the brain is the most important organ of intimacy
1: and can we talk a little bit about that please yeah of course now the brain is absolutely the most important organ important sex organ that we can talk about so the brain is responsible for our sexual response of desire and arousal and as we learned in medical school there's desire there's arousal orgasm and resolution we learned it a little bit differently we learned the the masters and johnson sexual response where they talk about desire, and then they talk about a plateau, and they talk about orgasm and resolution. And later on, we realized that in that same model, Kaplan had introduced desire and arousal. And when we look at the female sexual response cycle, we notice that it's a little bit more complicated only because for women, the factors of biopsychosocial also factor into Whether or not somebody gets aroused and somebody feels desire, and then, you know, they're, then they experience orgasm and resolution. And so the brain is really responsible for all of that happening. And when there is touching and kissing and other sexual things, the peripheral nervous system will get a signal and it forwards that to the brain. And then our hypothalamus, which controls all the hormones in the body, that responds to. That responds to the stimulus and causes arousal. So it signals the body to produce testosterone, and testosterone is really what drives our sexual drive. And in men, that results in an erection. You know for women, it can result in lubrication and desiring sex. So it's really important to realize that our sexual response, is controlled by something called the dual control model in our brain, and that either gets gets activated or it gets suppressed. And it's really an interplay of those two things that decides whether or not somebody will participate in a sexual act and somebody will not. So it can be our body responding to things that we see, taste, hear, smell, or touch, or imagine. And then if those things If that overtakes our inhibition system, then we'll basically engage in that sexual act or respond to that desire, to that arousal. But if there are things in us that are preventing us from acting on those thoughts and those impulses that are coming to us, then we won't respond to it. So our inhibition, so what we talked about, whether our brain activates or suppresses our desire is really based on... What it sees and smells and tastes. And if we have a lot of negative stressors, for example, say that body image or we're worried about, you know, external things, for example, you know, if we're angry at our spouse or if we're worried about the dishes in the sink or if we're worried about other household chores, all of those things act as negative inhibitors to our response, to our sexual response. So we won't engage in that sexual activity. For men, on the other hand, when they are responding to stimuli, for them, it's more of concern about their performance and if there's going to be a negative reaction to them participating in that sexual activity. For example, if there's going to be like a repercussion or something like that, or if somebody's having an affair, then they may not be able to get an erection or something. But and especially if they're worried about performance, if they feel like they won't be able to perform in a sexual act, then that could result in erectile dysfunction. But really, our, that's why our brain is so important, because our brain will really controls whether or not we respond to a stimuli, whether our body responds to that stimuli and how we engage in that physical intimacy. Thank you. And I do want to get to body image because, you know, because. Because a lot of people that
0: listen to this are thinking about weight loss goals and and those things. But before we get there, a lot of my audience too are people who are late forties, fifties, sixties, and things do kind of change over time as well, right? I mean, some of some of the stimuli that makes us feel like it's spontaneous when we're in our twenties doesn't feel like it's that kind of spontaneousness
1: at fifty or, yeah. Yeah, I'm you know, I'm glad you bring that up. And actually, that really segues into what I was going to talk about next is really understanding spontaneous desire versus responsive desire. And spontaneous desire is really a natural instinct that we see as influenced by cultural priorities and gender norms and really a focus on novelty and mystery. So, for example, when you're first starting to get to know your partner, you're really excited and everything seems more spontaneous, right? And, you know, it can bypass everything, and go straight to seeking out sexual stimuli and arouse the individual. It's like we said, it's characterized by a newness, a mystery and a powerful urge for a sexual connection. And, you know, in the beginning, even though it seems spontaneous, I would beg to differ a little bit because I would say that, you know, even though we think it's spontaneous, we still plan out even in those early days, we still plan out you know, what our date is going to look like, what we're going to wear, where we're going to go, what the night is going to look like. So even though it seems spontaneous, we still plan it out to an extent. As we get older and in long-term relationships, desire tends to be responsive. So responsive desire emerges, like I said, in long-term relationships where sexual stimulation from the partner triggers the desire. So desire actually comes as a response to intimacy and arousal that's created the physical context. So for example, a woman person may not be in the mood, right, for physical mm-hmm. intimacy. And so once though that she starts to experience the, the stimuli, which could be touching, kissing, cuddling, then she slowly starts to become aroused and then the arousal tends to come before the desire. So once she's actually participating In that intimacy, then the desire comes up. And that's normal. And that's usually seen in long-term relationships. And then there's also something called formative desire, which is desire that involves engaging in sexual fantasies and as a means of stimulating desire. It can be fantasizing in a way that enhances arousal and can explore a different aspect of one's sexual desires and preferences. So The real important thing to understand is that, you know, there are spontaneous desire and responsive desire, but responsive desire is no less than spontaneous, right? So we sometimes we think like, oh, you know, as we're older, we're in these long-term relationships and the spark is gone, but it's it's really not gone. It's just a different way of looking at desire. And that's really where sexual intelligence comes in. So there's a book by an author, his name is Marty Klein, and he talks about sexual intelligence what that states is basically that, you know, relationships and sex change as we get older Mm -hmm. and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's just for us to accept it and see it as the new normal and that there's really nothing wrong with responsive desire. And it's still, you know, it's still as good as spontaneous desire, if not better. That's nice. And you can still do the planning, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that actually, you know, a lot of sex therapists and sex counselors will actually suggest that you definitely need to schedule in date nights. Right. And so, again, Mm -hmm. date nights don't sound as spontaneous as before, perhaps in your you know early part of your relationship. However, it's really important to know that by scheduling in date nights, you're telling that other person that they matter, that they're important to you and that you're setting aside time for them. You know, and so during that time, I would suggest that people put away their phones and really just be present with their partner and really just focus on what they're talking about and listening to them. And I almost would say, you know, being mindful and we know that mindful means to just be present in the situation that you're in without judgment. And I think, you know, you and I had a conversation before about positive intelligence and he talks about ways to become mindful and just, you know, looking into your Partner's eyes, right, and really looking into them and really paying attention to what they're saying. And I think that that not only improves your relationship, but it connects you in a more emotional. It makes that emotional int- intimacy a little bit more, I think, dramatic for people. And I think it really helps their relationship because when you make those date nights, you know that you know this is the night that you have reserved for this individual. And I think this really helps also for individuals that have mismatched libido in their relationship. So one partner may have a greater libido than the, than the other one. And so the more that one person tries to initiate physical intimacy, the other person may shy away because they're not interested or their libido's not as strong, right? But by having these date nights, that night you know, both of you know, that, you know, that that night you're going to have sex so that you're both mentally prepared for that. So the person with the low libido also knows and the person with the high libido, right? And so there's no miscommunication there. Whereas the other person with the low libido, anytime they're getting a hug from the person that has a higher libido, they may think like, oh, I don't want to give them that hug because then they think that I may want to have sex and I don't want to have sex. And then that's going to make them, you know, pull away even more. Mm -hmm. But by having... Day nights, you both know and agree that, you know, that night is going to be that you'll have sex. And so there's no pressure from one person or the other. And so the other days that if you have, you know, you hug and kiss and stuff like that, it's understood between the two partners that, that, you know, may not lead to physical intimacy or sex later on, but that's okay because that's something that's understood between the two. Oh, I, like
0: that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, let's to talk a little bit about body image issues. You know, when you're, when someone's having body image issues, especially, I mean, people in long term relationships, your bodies do change over time and, and may circle back. So, you know, how, how do we increase intimacy in a relationship when we're facing some sort of body image issue?
1: Yeah. So I think what happens is that when we experience body image issues, you know, it could be that, you know, perhaps we have, we've gained a lot of weight. And that happens a lot with women, right? During pregnancy, we gain a lot of weight. And then some of us are able to lose that weight and others are not able to lose that weight. And then if we get pregnant again, then we add more weight. And I think that, you know, as we both know that the older we get, the harder it is to lose weight. And so that can definitely affect us as we get older and as, especially when we are in a relationship with a partner. So when we are physically intimate, you know, oftentimes what happens with women is that they start to spectator and what happens is that they're no longer in their bodies, but they're kind of like floating on top and they're looking at themselves and they're looking at like all these little bulges everywhere and they're not liking the way that they look. And so then they're really not able to become aroused. They're really not able to have that desire for intimacy because they don't like the way that they look. And then they're really not present in their own bodies. And studies have shown that when we are more present in our bodies, when we're more mindful, especially during physical intimacy, that in itself will increase desire and increase libido. And so I think a lot of times what we have to do is learn to love our bodies the way that we are right now. I think a lot of times, you know, women will say that I'm going to wait until I lose, you know, five pounds, 10 pounds or whatever, and then I'll love myself. And I think really the key thing is, is to love yourself as you are right now. Practicing mindfulness, you know, like we talked about, increases pleasure and arousal. And by focusing on the present moment, instead of worrying about the future, you can actually reduce stress and fully engage in that intimate experience that you have. Also, if you embrace self-acceptance and love yourself just as you are, right? And letting go of unrealistic expectations and exercise self-kindness, I think that helps a lot as well. And like we talked about before, recognizing that love and intimacy will evolve as we change and just really embracing it and embracing the beauty of the current stage of your life right now. And one of the most important things, and there's been studies done on this as well, there's a survey called the Female Sexual Satisfaction Survey. And they, what they did is they they went ahead and they wrote down the key points that really helped women, that were really important to women for their sexual satisfaction. And the number one, I guess, thing that they came up with and realized was that communication. So prioritizing communication by writing down your own desires and openly discussing them with your partner. Really helps in relaying to your partner, what you like, what you want, what you don't want. And clear communication also sets the foundation for satisfying an intimate connection. And that's really what they learned with this study and with this survey. So really making it a priority to communicate with your partner. And I know that a lot of times it's very difficult to discuss, you know, these very personal topics with your partner. Even with your partner, it's hard, right? But, you know, if you set aside time when both of you are not stressed, perhaps it's the end of the day or maybe it's on a date night. Definitely not when you're in bed with each other and you're criticizing them about, you know, what went wrong, you know, giving them like, a rundown. I mean, that's never helpful but outside of the bedroom when you're both relaxed, maybe when you go for a walk or something and just talking about what your likes are, what you're, you know, what you'd really like, or what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy really helps. And I think that when both partners, you know, have that mutual respect and love for each other, they really will try to, you know, help their partner enjoy and prioritize their pleasure, which I think is really important. And I think making time for sex and prioritizing intimate moments, you know, creating a sacred space for connection, whether like we talk about whether it's a scheduled date night or just carving out time for each other in your daily lives, I think it's really important maybe sending a text to each other in the middle of the day, letting the other person know that you're thinking about them, you know, will really help increase the emotional intimacy in a relationship. And like we talked about before, that emotional intimacy is what will lead to the physical intimacy. When someone feels like they are loved for and cared for and supported, then that will definitely help with body image. And when they realize that the partner, you know, hopefully doesn't care what they look like and really just wants that emotional intimacy with their, with them, then, you know, I think that that really helps with that physical connection.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, you know, I work a lot with people who are over 50 and a lot of them, you know, their bodies are changing, but their partner's bodies are also changing as well. And, you know, if you can, I love that you, what you talk about communicating about it, just talking about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the number one, I guess, reason or cause that it really helps women, especially sexually to be satisfied. It's just communicating. Right. And I think that it's easier said than done because sometimes it can be a hard topic to broach and nobody really wants to hear that they're not good in bed, <laughs> that, you know, if, uh, If the other person can feel loved and supported and know how to pleasure their partner, then I think it makes the connection even better. And just, you know, even engaging in shared hobbies and participating in new experiences together, these acts in themselves can just foster closeness and deepen your emotional and physical connection.
0: That's beautiful.
1: I love that. Let's talk a little.
0: Some people think their sex life is going to be worse because of weight gain. Yeah.
1: So, you know, there was a study that was done. I'm sorry. Did, were, yeah. What I would just, you say about that? Sorry. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so there was a study that was done out of Duke University that stated that 30% of obese people have problems with desire, sex drive and performance. And they said that because what happens is that sometimes when we are overweight, we have more fat tissue
0: mm-hmm. and we also
1: have more of a sex hormone binding globulin. And that sex hormone binding globulin, basically what it is, is it will bind testosterone. And so when we have less of the free floating testosterone in our bodies, that testosterone is really responsible for desire, really, for both men and women, it helps with desire. And so when all of our, I wouldn't say all of our testosterone, but when a lot of it is bound up with this sex hormone blinding globulin, it does decrease our desire and our sex drive and performance. It can decrease that. Also sometimes when people gain weight, what can happen is that that weight gain can lead to cholesterol and diabetes. And sometimes that when we have high cholesterol or when we have diabetes, that impacts the small arteries that supply the genitalia. So for men, it can be those small arteries that supply blood to the penis and can result in erectile dysfunction. And then those same kind of blockages can affect women, actually. New research has shown and blood flow going to the vulva and the clitoris. And so that if that happens, then the body may not respond as well to sexual stimuli and that could then affect desire. So they could have like less lubrication And that could affect desire. And so also sometimes we have medications that we use for treatment of high blood pressure and diabetes that can affect desire as well. And if that happens, then, you know, definitely that can affect your sex life. Also, we have meds that are used for anxiety and depression and birth control pills. All of those can affect desire. And so it's really important to discuss that with your physician if you're experiencing any issues with desire and you're on meds then it's important for you to know what those you know side effects can be and so it can also help with that
0: but I can have alternate alternates too right that are you know sometimes something affects you that doesn't affect someone else and and so it's important to go ahead and talk about those with your doctor because there's probably a different one that a different medication that could be tried Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to get people up on that.
1: Definitely. Body image also is, you know, as you know, how we feel and see our own body. So if somebody is constantly made to feel self-conscious about their body, then their desire is definitely going to be inhibited, right? They're not going to want sex or be physically intimate with somebody if they're made to feel bad about their body. So I think it's just important to really love and accept our bodies as they are. And, and then I think working on that part of our brain will increase the arousal and the libido. But yes, I definitely agree with you that sometimes, you know, as we gain weight, it definitely affects our body image and affects how we feel about ourselves. And so, and then, you know, it can sometimes lead to chronic conditions, which can also affect our sex life.
0: I think if you feel. tell me if you agree with this but if you feel safe in your relationship and feel like you have that that kind of emotional safety that it's okay to bring these things up to like absolutely gosh my body is changing it's so strange and I feel a little insecure about it and and
1: have that discussion right absolutely absolutely and so you know I Something which I think that you mentioned is that, you know, to have that love and support and that safety in that relationship. And I think that sometimes if you show the other person that you're coming from a place of care and love and, you know, you don't want them to develop, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes or heart disease, you know, I think it's it might be okay to mention it to them, but you know, you, you could also ask them if there's something that's bothering them, right? Sometimes people will. Eat more if they are sad or depressed or anxious or worried. Mm -hmm. And, and you know this better than anyone because you are a weight loss coach. And so, you know, different coping ways to cope. And so that might be also a question that their partner can ask and, and see how they can help. Right. As long as the, I think that as long as the other person feels like they can lean on their partner and, you know, have their love and support, but also find ways to help them cope with whatever it is that they may be trying to address with food, you know, that that must be another way of addressing that challenge.
0: And if people don't feel safe with their partner or their partner is saying things that are negative about their body or how their body's changing, who should they reach out to for help?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the One of the problems that you definitely can have is if you're gaining a lot of weight and, you know, you don't have a supportive partner, I think that one of one of the key people that you should probably reach out to, I would is I would reach out to my doctor, you know, perhaps like your family doctor or your internal medicine doctor so that they could perhaps guide you. And I think also, you know, a therapist might help as well, especially if it is anxiety or depression that's causing you to. Turn to food as a coping mechanism. I think that that might be helpful as well because there might be a lot of issues that you know you're trying to deal with, and it might be too much. And sometimes I mean, it's helpful to just discuss it with somebody else that's not related to you that can help you out with your issues.
0: And also to explore if you have a partner who's who's being mean about your body. Yeah, so, you know, thing that be something people need to explore with the therapist or with their doctor.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, I've also seen this where sometimes if a person loses too much weight, their partner can feel threatened, right? And think that their partner will leave them now because now that they have this new body and that they've lost a lot of weight, maybe they're more confident and more outgoing and that makes their other partner feel threatened. And so they may, you know, have some issues on that end too, right? So either... Mm -hmm. Uh, having gained a lot of weight or losing a lot of weight there might be some issues with between between spouses or partners sure yeah well thank you so much i appreciate
0: you talking about this we covered a lot of stuff you and i could probably talk about this for four hours but i appreciate you talking about the different especially the different kinds of intimacy to think about that think about how desire is different you know when you get to be middle-aged and, and kind of the opportunities to, you know, deepen your connection with your partner through all these different like, changes. And
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, there's so many ways of giving and receiving pleasure. And when you think about sex as the end point rather than the beginning, you can start with simple things like just even holding hands and cuddling and building affection that way and you know just taking walks together and different ways to build the intimacy it doesn't always have to be physical right it can be just doing things together going on adventures together skiing or taking up a new hobby together right and all of that will build a connection that you may not have had with your partner before and i think in in the end it's all about how you feel about yourself right you could be yeah You could have over be overweight by other people's standards and still feel really confident and love yourself. And I think the important thing is just to love and accept yourself the way you are at any size and who you are right now. And I think that in itself, when you start to love yourself, then I think that that energy and positivity emanates from you. And that's the energy that you attract. And so I think that that will really help.
0: I love that. It's a great place to end. That's the message that we have in my program as well because there's no thought police you can start liking yourself now you don't have to wait and really if you have some sort of end goal you need to like yourself before you get there or you won't you still won't like yourself when you're there so uh, awesome well thank you please tell my audience where they can find you on
1: in the virtual world (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on Dr. Awad. I really appreciate the opportunity. And for people that would like to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Saddhaf OBGYN. You can also find me on YouTube at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I also have a podcast called the Muslim Sex Podcast that Dr. Awad was on as well. We talked about positive intelligence and I have a website called drsadaf.com. and you can email me at Dr. Sothef at Dr. Sothef.com. And uh, I think that's it. And I'm also seeing patients virtually. I do telehealth for patients in Michigan and New York. Nice,
0: nice. And you do coach. So if people are looking for an intimacy coach, they can connect with you on one of those platforms, yeah. right, too. Yeah.
1: Yep, so and coaching, as we know, is global. Coaching can be done with anyone, anywhere in the world. So yeah, I absolutely, I do intimacy coaching. Terrific. Thank you so much for
0: being here today. I really appreciate you. Hello, this is Dr. Heather Awad, founder of Vibrant Weight Loss for Professional Women Age 50+. It is September 2023. We welcome Dr. Nikita Shah, who is an obesity medicine doctor and life coach. She is joining us because September is the most popular month to join Vibrant Weight Loss Over 50. So if you are interested and ready to go, please go to HeatherAwadMD.com. So that's Heather, A W A D M D.com, and book a call to apply for the program. I look forward to meeting you.